Welcome to Minority Corner, where we take an introspective look at the world through an intersectional lens. I'm James, he, him. I'm a queer political activist, actor, comedian, self-proclaimed sexy blur. That's a um, black nerd. And each week, I'm joined in the corner by other fabulous minorities and some allies tackling the news, pop culture, politics, media, entertainment, and history with a little self-care, self-love sprinkled throughout, all for our own personal and collective empowerment. Today, we are a party with a purpose. It's been a long time, but comedic legend in the making and Duchess of Minority Corner podcast, Glory Mora, is back with her mighty return. Speaking of royalty, we chat about our BAP, Meghan Markle, and her tell-all interview with the queen herself, Oprah. Her dwam, Harry, was also there spilling the tea. Don't worry, these acronyms will make sense as the episode goes on, I promise. Celebrating Women's History Month, we celebrate the legacy of the High Priestess of Soul, Nina Simone, her journey, her struggles, her legacy, and glory pushes us down the reggaeton rabbit hole and its history and origins, and she also helps me understand what a bad bunny is and why I should care and why you should too. But first, to kick off the show, the reviews are in for coming to America, the sequel to Coming to America, and they're mixed, even on this very podcast. And remember Kid and Play? Well, I did a movie marathon, so you don't have to, and I have uncovered their origin story and my theory as to what happened to their career. Oh yes, all this and so much more. Get ready to learn, laugh, and play right here on the Lordy Corner. Welcome back to the podcast. It's been so long, and it's been it's been a long time coming for us to get you on the show. I know, and I'm sure a lot has probably changed since the last time we connected. I mean, we had a whole different president. We hadn't had that, an insurrection yet. I mean, right. all kinds of things. All a kinds lot, of J-Lo things hadn't performed happen. at the inauguration. She and you hadn't had your other thoughts. You're running lists of things that you need to speak to Jennifer Lopez about. Like right. it, was, it was a lot. Yeah. And full disclosure, it was my doing of why you hadn't been on the podcast for a while. Cause I was like, no, let me get you. Cause I wanted you to have your Yeti mic. I wanted you're you to right. Have your you Yeti did mic. say that. You did say that. I, I wanted you to have your Yeti mic. Cause I wanted you to have the full sound. And then we got your, you got your Yeti mic. And, and then we still couldn't get, we couldn't get and into it. I just want to let the people know, I, the reason why I didn't have my Yeti mic was because my other friend was starting a podcast and I gave, I lent it to her. So that's she why I didn't have reach that. one, teach one. She's right. trying to lend a helping hand. Right. And, uh, you know, we just were like, you know, fuck it. I, I wanted to say that just to put a disclaimer, because I don't want, I don't want it, glory. They sometimes they write reviews. They tweet at us that the audio isn't like, you know, slamming. So I just but wanted to put you. a full disclaimer of, you know, we did our best. And sometimes technology happens, but it's about the content and glory is fabulous. Exactly. So Mike be damned. We can't let the Mike Gremlins get after us. So they're going to be fine. They're going to hear this um, whole interview podcast segment that we this journey that we're about to go. They love all the episodes. Yes. Has anybody ever reviewed me? No, but there's always this could be the first time, but you never know. (laughs) You never know. (laughs) 
listen, here's the thing about reviews. If you accept the good ones, you got to be willing to take in the bad ones. So there is that. Like all constructive criticism. Speaking of reviews, I have a thought. So I just recently, I I watched both. So Coming to America, Coming to America, the sequel to Coming to America just came out, right? So classic it's a classic movie amongst the black community and i guess i don't know i don't know what it's like Mm -hmm. in the other communities i don't know if y'all peeped it out or checked it out i mean it's eddie murphy he's a bit of an institution so uh it's it's, a bit well you know he is the exactly no No, you're right you're right come come correct you're right like Mm -hmm. oh and and so like i mean He's just like a, a comedic god, essentially, you know, and and so went back and watched because I heard that the sequel has a lot of references to the original one. So it's like, OK, let me go back and watch the original one. Watch the original one. Definitely mm-hmm. interesting to ever like when you watch anything that's like 10 plus years older, like y- you hopefully as a human being has changed. Society has changed. And so it's very interesting to look back at it with like 2021 goggles and you're and also like Eddie Murphy's comedic style back in the 80s is just he has definitely he's and then you watch the sequel you're like okay phew he has evolved right um so Mm. watching it because then i accidentally peeped like i don't like to look at like rotten tomatoes or reviews or anything until after i've seen the movie because i don't like other people's opinions Mm -hmm. and filtrating mine you know i just i like to just come in with as many like fresh eyes as possible but i accidentally peeped out the ratings reviews because i did go ahead and pay the 30 dollars to watch raya the last dragon on disney plus because i you know i liked oh here we go it's mulan all over again gotta support the industry you are the you got to support the industry. You are the only person keeping Disney Plus alive. <laughs> Not, I okay. We'll look at the ratings and reviews for no, WandaVision. Okay, I think okay. you know. But like I just cuz I you know, I am a SAG actor, you know, I t- Wait. I meant Disney Plus Plus. So this is Disney Plus, but you'd be supporting Disney Plus. Plus. I do. So I okay, Plus. okay. You're right. You're right. Okay. Yeah. I just, um, I just because I always think I'm like, if I, I would have gone to the movie theater to pay for this, so why not? You know, mm-hmm. you know. And it's a great movie. Ray Last Dragon, ninety six percent Rotten Tomatoes, but you know, fuck reviews. What do they know? But I accidentally peeped the one for Coming to America. They were mixed. It was like it's almost fresh. It's hanging around like anything below sixty percent is like you know not fresh or whatnot. And so it's like, oh, interesting. Okay. And so I braced myself. I watched Coming to America, and you know what? Had a black ass good time is what I had, and it made me think. I I don't think I'm just not interested in like no offense. Get ready to clutch your pearls, people. Hot take. Hmm. I don't, I'm not interested really in uh, white people's opinions about black movies. I just am no longer interested because I think that there's a certain, it makes me go back to thinking about how many movies like black comedies or black movies in general um, have been affected because of negative poor reviewers. And most of the reviewers are white, but like, I don't think these movies, they're very, I think they're fubu. Like a lot of them are for us bias. And I think some of the jokes or references or things that happen, you know, this isn't necessarily for you. You're welcome to participate, but I don't and watch it, but to give like a review and weigh in an opinion, which then can affect our money, right? Like mm-hmm. our our dollars and our income and then our ability to make more movies, it it just has an effect. So I'm almost just like, I'm not interested. It, sometimes, can we just let movie be fun? 
does it all have to be like mm. some sort of a masterpiece? Like I think, or here's my other thought is I think that like every newspaper or, or, or thing should have like an, a, like a, a diverse group of reviewers and send the right reviewer to go review that movie. Like sometimes they'll come in hard on kids movies and my, I just feel like sometimes we're, we are the kind of people like we want the black person in the room, but that's a lot of pressure for that one person in that room to get it right. You know? Right. But I just think that like maybe Roger Ebert's not the right person to go review like, you know, uh, like certain movies. Right. Like, I don't think he needs to be watching Mm -hmm. Coming to America. Maybe I don't know that that they should. And and, and so it's just or even like kids movies, sometimes they'll come in hard on kids movies. And it's like, listen, this is a fucking kids movie. Like, what is the deal? Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Did you think A Wrinkle in Time was a good movie? <laughs> I because that's all I got. That's all I gotta ask. Because sometimes like it's about- not it. Sometimes they're not great movies. Absolutely, okay. like sure. I okay. think there's some, but I don't know. I just like sometimes I look at the reviews and I'm like, I don't think we're having the same sort of experience. And here's the thing that I did like mm-hmm. about Coming to America is that like it did like if you go back and watch some of these movies from like the 80s or 90s, like. I like women don't have a lot of agency in these movies. Like Uh it's interesting because like Eddie Murphy's character is probably the most in coming to America, the most sincere character that he's ever played. And he's not usually like a really sincere, nice guy. Like he's just kind of this rebel-y snarky type of person, not snarky, but just sort of like, he's the cool guy. Very Leo energy. Fair. There it is. Give him that astrology. (laughs) And I said, he's such a nice, Mm -hmm. sincere guy, but he's written the movie. And so everyone around him is just like, it's just very like nasty Eddie Murphy's sort of like comedy. Right. And then when you get Mm -hmm. to the, the sequel, I thought, I know there's a lot of like strong female characters in it. I think it like even comments like there's like the preacher in the first one is like nasty and and sexist and chauvinist. And I don't think like they were just I don't know that they like in this and the second one, they called him out on it and they like were referencing like, Um, oh, yeah, he's just nasty and sexist and chauvinist. And I'm like, okay, go off. Like there just was a I just felt like they really had updated it for 2021 and had some really like great conversations. The cameos in it. I'm like, oh, this is for black people. I won't even spoil some of the cameos. I'm like. Didn't I didn't like the cameos? I was like, "What is SWV doing here right now?" Like, uh, was it SWV? It was En Vogue, so come correct. Okay, it was okay. Okay, my it bad. It was En Vogue and to, Salt and Pepper. Like, <laughs> I have to caveat: I was high on edibles and a lot okay. of like right. weed when so I saw also, it. So also, I think like I don't mm. want people reviewing movies when they're high on edibles. Like, I think that's also okay, a thing. Like, well, I don't want white people, and I don't want people high on edibles. Okay, okay, that's fair, James. That's fair. I, I just felt like for me, I I didn't watch the whole movie because I oh was my god! Okay, give me a no, second. Give me a I, second. Give me a where second. Is this but, going? I <laughs> I just want to let you know. I felt like it was a little like loaded. You don't feel like it was loaded? It was giving me a lot of like product placement, and I was like, I gotta tune out because it's too much. The Pepsi, the whole Pepsi commercial at the beginning. No, I don't. It was a whole Pepsi commercial. And here's the thing that I Mm. did like about Coming to America is that like it did like if you go back and watch some of these movies from like the 80s or 90s, like I like women don't have a lot of agency in these movies. Mm -hmm. Like it's interesting because like Eddie Murphy's character is probably the most in Coming to America, the most sincere 
character that he's ever played and he's not usually like a really sincere nice guy like he's just yeah. kind of this rebel-y snarky type of person not snarky but just sort of like he's the cool guy like very leo energy fair there it is give him that astrology <laughs> and i said he's mm-hmm. such a nice sincere guy but he's written the movie and so everyone around him is just like it's just very like nasty eddie murphy sort of like comedy right and then when you get to the the sequel i thought I know there's a lot of like strong female characters in it. I think it like even comments like there's like the preacher in the first one is like nasty and and sexist and chauvinist. And I don't think like they were just I don't know that they like in this and the second one, they called him out on it and they like were referencing Um, like, oh, yeah, he's just nasty and sexist and chauvinist. And I'm like, okay, go off. Like there just was a I just felt like they really had updated it for 2021 and had some really like great conversations. The cameos in it. I'm like, oh, this is for black people. I won't even spoil some of the cameos. I'm like, I didn't like the cameos. I was like, what is SWV doing here right now? Like, uh, was it SWV? It was En Vogue. So come correct. It was okay. Okay, my bad. It I was En Vogue and Salt and Pepper. Like, you know, sequels are the second movie is never the best one. I they say that. I thought the first one was a classic. I can't say this one's a classic, but it was fun. It's a fun movie. Let black people be fun. Let people, black people go. What I like about this movie, it was a lot of like commentary. The last one, it was like Africa going over. Like a, a guy from Africa coming over to the United States. And this one, it was more so the United States, like African black folks going over to Africa, right? And I thought they did a really great job in, in covering a lot of things. In 2021, comedy can be really, really hard and challenging to do. And I felt like he definitely sort of upgraded. So definitely appreciated it. Um, also, moving back in time, recently rewatched all the kid and play movies. Did you ever watch the. Because, like, these are like institutions when I grew up in my family, like, Eddie, coming to America, we've watched that so many different times. Like, there's just certain comedies that, like, were institutions. Mm-hmm. The Kid and... Remember Kid and Play? The remember House them? Parties. Yes, I do know them, James. I really... The okay. One, one did you get that guys, one? I did. I remember watching it only because one of the guys was a sister's sister. He was, like, the owner of the bookshop. I, for, I forgot his name, but he was the... He was in Sister Sister. Uh, you know what? who else? Well, yeah. Wow, what a deep yeah. cut. Because I know that Roger was in House Party Three because he was in the group Immature, and Immature was in House Party Three. I uh, well, House Party like so originally. I don't know if you know this. It was originally written um, for Will Smith and DJ Jazzy Jeff. That was actually the original concept. And they passed on it, and then Kid and Play stepped in. And Kid and Play, I uh, Christopher Reed and Christopher Martin—that's their mm-hmm. like real life, you know, their uh, government names. Um, and they had uh, stepped into it. They originally started off as like high school rivals from two different like hip hop groups or something. But then they found out that they like had a love for music, and so they started you know their own act together. And what I didn't realize, I was thinking, is like, what happened to Kid and Play? Like, where did they go? Here's my theory of what happened. We noticed, so me and my roommate, we watched all three house parties and we watched mm-hmm. the movie Class Act. Caveat, if you're going to watch a kid and play movie, the one to watch, Class Act. You know, like the house party movies, they're good. Again, time capsule. Mm-hmm. Women aren't the best shown up in it. It's huge on right. my radar. Um, I barely passes the rectal test. Women, if they do, are having a conversation. What's a rectal test? They're talking... The Brechtel test. So the Brechtel test is if a movie passes the Brechtel test, the uh, it is three criteria. So there has to be at least two women in it that have names. Okay. Uh, those. Uh huh. No, that's very important. And but Glory, 
not a lot of movies pass that even that, right? Not even a lot of movies. Like they do, they do a study every mm-hmm. year about how many movies pass the Brechtel test. And once you see the, once you understand the Brechtel test, it's so hard to, to, to miss it. And I watch it in every one of the movies and so few movies actually even pass that, especially ones um, further back, you know, anything back like, you know, five years ago or, or plus or even 10 years ago plus. Um, there has to be at least two women um, in the movie that have names. The two women have to have at least a conversation with just each other for at least a minute. And then the third criteria is that conversation has to be not about a man. So a lot of times movies might get past one or two of those things. And so actually even all the house party movies, none of them actually fully pass it because even the conversations that women do have do end up turning out to be about a man. And Mm. so it's this idea of giving women agency in movies. Coming to America, the sequel... Passes the Brechtel test. Somebody was, somebody was in Go that off. room. Somebody was in that room. That's the thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Hillary from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air pops up in uh, Class Act. Class Act is so much fun because it's the kid and play have such an amazing chemistry together. Mm-hmm. And like they should have done like a million movies. And they have such great chemistry. And it takes just them and gets them away from like the house party motif. Because mm-hmm. like how many times can they like, Ooh, we got to throw a party. Like. How many times can we like have to right. throw a party, right? And so this one is the old classic identity switcheroo. They are both in this high school. Their identities get switched. A uh, kid ends up in like the bad part of the school and play ends up in the good part of the school, even mm-hmm. though like, so their identities get switched and hijinks ensues. There's like, just, it's a, it's a lot of fun. The good, good director. So I would recommend, I mean, house party one in class act. You can maybe skip the other two house parties. And, Yes, Ken and Play, big, big, big up to them. Oh, the thing that killed their career? You know what, I know, oh, know wow. what happened? What happened? Do you want to know what killed their career? So they were more of like a fun, upbeat, self-empowerment type of hip-hop. But come like 1995, 94, it's all about the gangster rap. Nobody wanted any of that mess. They're like, give mm. me the drinking, give me the drugs, like, right. fuck all this. And Everything like, that they it stood all down. for. It was off, and so no one was interested in Kid and Play anymore. And it's like, oh wow, yeah, so that that was the end of Kid and Play. But that's kind of why <laughs> I remember like being really into Will Smith, and he had like, here come the men in black. Yeah, and it's like, black. but 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 the same thing. Oh, and here's the reason why I think that Will Smith's career was able to take off, continue, is because he had already started transitioning into acting and was Mm. such a huge staple. I think had Kid and Play maybe continued doing movies and things like Mm. that and just like TV should have had, they had their own, they had a cartoon show that was short lived. I remember watching that, but like, I think, yeah, they were like everywhere. And so I think like, had they been able to transition to that and be more of a household name and they could have gotten out of the music. I, one of them, the uh, play, he actually is like, uh, he's heavily involved in church stuff. So he's like a born again Christian. So he's, you know, left away from that. We got to talk about our BAP, uh, Meghan Markle. And for those of you who don't Wait, know what, what a BAP is, for? have you not seen oh, BAP British? starring? Ha- no. Oh, I thought you were no. okay. Sorry, I thought you were going to be a British American princess. Black Black African-American princess. So there's a movie called Baps starring Mm -hmm. Halle Berry and this other girl. I think she was in the Cinderella. Oh, my God. No, we have to get her name right. She recently passed away. We're not about to do her like that. Oh, yeah, We got to get us on the fact check. I didn't know. Wow. You had your finger on the pulse of the cast of Cinderella. Yeah. Natalie does. I can't say her last name. Her name is Natalie. 
So okay, mm-hmm. good Natalie. We know her. We love her. Um, so it's her and Halle Berry, and BAPS stands for Black African American Princess. Yes. And I'm like, oh my God, Meghan Markle is a BAP. She is a Black African American Princess, back. right? Like we finally got like a legit BAP. So the Oprah. And Meghan Markle and Harry was there too. Uh, mm-hmm. Interview happened. I just watched it. Thoughts, reactions, what? There, I had two feelings because I watched first. I took the, okay. the mini bites from social media, and then I took the whole thing. I love. I just don't. Meghan Markle, and you know, obviously, I don't know her like that. I don't have her phone number like I have J Lo's number. But Meghan Markle doesn't give me like right. drama. Like she's, she gives me minding my own business. I came here to do my job. That's all she gives me. Like, it's like, she's so, you know, I feel like she's innocent. Like she's just like, and honestly, like I, I talked yes. about this with my friends the other day. It's like, it was giving me a lot of like HR gaslighting and we needed to get Oprah in here to intervene. Cause you know, these oh, companies, yes. we have an HR. Yes. And we'll yes. gaslight the shit out of their black employees. Yes. Yes. Well, and you know, that's mm-hmm. why, you know, Oprah came to the rescue because they can't, if Oprah right. steps in, she's like a wall, right? She was like, hold on, let me go help out my sister friend. Right. You're not going to fuck with our BAP, right? Like, uh, you know, Oprah is American royalty. Right. Like, you don't, she stepped in and she was like, let's have a conversation. And snaps because like, I think they were very smart in the very beginning of it. She's like, so she already knows yeah. you're not being paid for this. You have no idea what I'm going to ask you and everything's on the table. And what I really appreciate in the interview is you could see, first of all, Oprah's an amazing interviewer because she's so on the spot. She will sit there with no cards in front of her and just ask. Mm-hmm. And like, you can tell like she's just, she listens and she's really having a conversation with somebody and she'll do follow-ups. Like if Megan didn't really answer the question fully, she'd, and not in the probing right. Diane Sawyer. Why do you show your titties? Spears. Why'd you cheat on him? I'm a fucking pop star. <laughs> right. Diane Sawyer, take notes. I want Diane Sawyer's journalist Look, credentials taken away from her. She needs to take some classes. Was, were you silenced or were you silenced? And I would say Oprah gave us choreography. Oh, <laughs> so good. Were you silent so or were you silenced? And I think... How often is that the story? Because we're going to talk about this later with like, you know, like what you see, it's such a, a trend with, and when it comes mm-hmm. down to it, the why, the why, the why of it. What I do appreciate, Harry is a down ass white man down married to his uh, He's a black du-wop. wife. He's a because du-wop. <laughs> down white. He's a dewop. No, he's she a got man. a dewop as <laughs> white man. He's a dwam. She got herself a dwam, okay? A bap and a dwam together. Because what I thought was so interesting, because Oprah was circling around, you know, oh, Megan, why do you think you're going to say, because I'm black. Oprah would bring it up. And Megan was kind of hesitant. She... But she was hesitant. Megan was hesitant. And I think so oftentimes, sometimes for black folks, like, Mm. like, because she's also in this other world of royalty, right? That she had never really asked for and she's like learning how to maneuver around it. You can see that she's still she's wanting to 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 voice her side of it because she had been silenced, right? And 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 she wasn't protected at all, even though like the I firm, like, as it's called, which is like right. the British royalty PR comms, whatever. Like they were like, oh, we're gonna protect you, they're gonna protect you. They never did. They were probably feeding information to like, you know, the press or anything like that. And 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 what's I thought was interesting, like. She wouldn't necessarily be directly coming out and saying it's because I'm black. But what I love about Harry 
from the get-go and throughout the entire time, he was addressing it. He was mm-hmm. like, it's because she's black. And, and it's because, because Archie's black, black. And they're being racist. Like, he was calling it and he was like, yes, he was calling it head on. And I was like, go off. Because you know what? Sometimes it's like, we can't necessarily, it's the same thing with like, you know, Obama couldn't come in and be like, mm-hmm. reparations. That's like the first black president. People were like, how come we didn't do it, right? But it's like, sometimes you gotta have like the, like we can't always be the ones to do it or the ones to bring it up. You know, because it's like people like, oh, they're just bringing that up. It takes like, you know, some real ass white folks who step up, call things for what it is. We didn't make this racist ass world. So why is it all on us to have to be the ones to go and fix it? There were several parts of the interview that I thought was interesting. But in the beginning, I think a lot of people give Megan slack or whatever flack. I don't know what the right word is because she's like, why you're a princess. You get to be a princess. And it's like, all right, I hear you. But it's like. Right. I also have this responsibility that yeah. I wasn't trained for. How many times do we go into these jobs and people be like, just figure it out, which is part of you. Yes, it's a piece yes. but the other part is like, I actually want you to fail so that you can look bad. They were setting her up for failure so that they can have a reason to like attack her. And when she was right. And it's like, you probably have to like work twice as double to learn the traditions, learn 100%. how to curtsy. I can barely yes. get on my knees. And she, you know, it's just a lot. <laughs> so it's like, and I'm pretty sure with those traditions, it's not just like learning the Star Spangled Banner. Like you need to learn code, right. what time the queen comes in for right. brunch, like where yes. what kind of where your hand is at. Like it's it's yes. something you need to be onboarded for. I've never right. been a princess, but I know I have in my past life. A hundred percent. Right. And you were probably trained to do it up from when you were like a little girl. But like even like learning how to cross her legs a certain way. Mm -hmm. People like, how come she doesn't know this stuff? And like all the other ladies who've gone through have had like training and have been trained in that sort of high society sort of royalty like their entire life. And Mm -hmm. no one like helped a sister out. And she was like, Yeah, you said how to Google like their national anthem because no one she's having to do all this training on the side, learn how to curtsy in a fucking car. Like and it's just it's it's and it's so interesting too, because like Harry brought this up. What a missed opportunity by having Mm -hmm. first woman of color enter into royalty. Because I didn't even realize this. 60% of the Commonwealth are people of color. Again, 60% of the Commonwealth are people of color. So the Commonwealth, it's like, you know, South Africa, New Zealand, um, all those Caribbean islands, Canada, like all these different places where they colonize, essentially. And so, like, what a great opportunity to, like, and they they travel around the Commonwealth, and she's, you know, hanging out with Black people who are part of the commonwealth and what like a wow for them to get to see this and actually really like if they were smart they should have been had this of like found someone like you need to go you need to go marry someone black so we can kind of be like sorry about that but look you're part of the because otherwise it's just still straight up colonization without any sort of representation up into the family like it's bad and like it's just it's it's and I, it's so interesting because I feel like in the UK, they're not fully, like, acknowledging. I will say, like, there's a moment that I guess, like, the the parliament, women in the parliament on both their conservative and liberal side signed something to the fact of saying, like, this country's being racist as fuck from, like, colonizing, right? Like, this is just some, like, ancient colonizing stuff coming out. But I feel like the people are not, like, the tabloids are not. Like, you could see it. They would say one thing like, oh, Kate, she's so glamorous. And then, you know, Megan's doing the same thing. She's like, she's trash. She's a trash hoe. Like, straight out of Compton. And they were doing the same thing. Like, holding her belly. They did. They called her straight out of Compton. if I'm pregnant, I'm going to hold my stomach as much as I want. I'm not even pregnant now. I'll be having food bumps and I hold my stomach. Okay? Let that woman live. 
Second of Let all, I live. Thought, right. It was surprising because I'm like, you know, Meghan Markle is biracial. She's not even fully 100% yes. they, black. Right. They, they couldn't even handle a biracial woman, let alone. I'm not saying that like there is an easier time, but because her skin, you know, we know colorism exists in our community and we always find it. We always compartmentalize. Like, it's like if someone's a fair skin, they'll have an easier time. So it's really surprising to me that Meghan Markle, you know, according to these old standards that even in America, super racist, a brown paper bag test, Meghan Markle should have been fine. But it's crazy that it's still an issue. And I think that she probably had a lot. It probably was even I mean, I'm sure the blackness was at the forefront, but it's like how dare us have a black American like we she yeah. stepped two two steps and it's right. like who used to have a job and she used right. to work like gross like and that's right. the thing too that I thought was so interesting I thought like you know she is yeah I mean she's 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 biracial and I'm like wow they couldn't even handle a biracial woman like could you imagine like a, a much darker skinned woman you right. know she, like they yeah. would they would have lost their shit and i think it's like I, it's a it's a magnifying glass like on the uk like y'all got some like y- y'all got some some work to do in some ways i feel like you know they've had this thing they're like oh we don't you know uh, done we, we we're not you know racist or something they're kind of like the portland of like the world right Not like they just Portland. didn't <laughs> well, because done. they didn't have i mean they've got some diversity but it's like because they didn't have they stopped slavery much sooner than 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 the united states did um it wasn't as you know they didn't have plantations on on their land so I guess like when they stopped doing it, they just didn't never really like confront like America. Like there's nothing like this country, right? There's nothing mm-hmm. like in terms of us, the experiment that is America and and the reckoning of us having to deal with all of our past issues and things that have never gotten dealt with. I don't know that the UK has had as many of those strong moments that we have had and continue mm-hmm. to have. And I think this is putting a, a really great magnifying glass when you have like whoever it was, they were con- they were like, weren't going to give Archie any um a security any protection or security it's like this baby is part of like the royal family and then they're like oh sorry here you're not gonna get any you know protection either and it's like that's fucking like dangerous as fuck and and then they were like talking about like how can they're concerned about how dark the baby was gonna be that's that's why i brought up her skin complexion because they were Mm. talking i'm like do you not know how chromosomes work over there you don't have biology like that girl is half white yeah, like right. that shouldn't be your concern at all. But it's like you guys are wilding over there. Like, that's what did you think? How... It's just crazy. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And then so I mean, just very sort of you know eye opening. We've been I we've been repping for for Megan since day one. And like you said, like she's actually a, she's really nice, down to earth, like great heart person. I think there's a lot of parallels between her and Diana, which that's what her husband saw, and he was like, I don't right. want the same thing to happen to my mom. I'm questions about Prince Charles. Like there's a lot of like suspect questions. Like I think like Prince Charles has been kind of silent. Like no one in his family has really been like stepping up and coming out and 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 supporting. Apparently the Queen, she cool. But like mm-hmm. no one's been putting out any statements because they're so afraid of the fucking press. And it's like they're they're royalty. Like that's insane that they're that afraid of the but press. That like, they won't come out point, and say something. I don't feel like there's no turning back. Like I don't really see them making a statement now. Like I think. Right. What they're going to do. They're probably going to do that whole like 10 year shit out. It was like 10 years later. Like we were reflecting on our behaviors in 2020 and we apologize. Right. 
Well, they tried to put out like the they before this thing came out, they put out a smear campaign about like, oh, Megan fired some people, some staff, and she's a terrible person. Like constantly trying to, again, she was just trying to li- do her best. She was committed to it, like you said. They set her up for fail to fail, and our former colonizers, y'all got some work to do. We got the magnifying glass over there. Hey, I'm Janet Farney, host of the JV Club podcast. Ah, high school. Was it a time of adventure, romance, and discovery? Class of 95, we did it! Or a time of angst, disappointment, and confusion. We're all tied together by four years of trauma at this place, but enjoy adulthood, I guess. The truth is, it was both. So join me on the JV Club podcast where I invite some great friends like Kristen Bell, Angela Kinsey, Oscar Nunez, Neil Patrick Harris, and Keegan-Michael Key to talk about high school, the good, the bad, and everything in between. My teenage mood swings are getting harder to manage. The JV Club. Find it on Maximum Fun. Okay, since we are talking about royalty this uh, today on the podcast we're gonna kick it over to the high priestess of soul miss nina simone and i'm talking about the real deal miss nina simone not zoe sandana i have to say if you're looking for something to watch about nina simone nina simone watch the netflix documentary not the movie starring Zoe Saldana, which I know you had, you brought up on the podcast, oh your feelings about it. I don't even want to, I don't even, it's just like, really set after Latina's back. We don't have to revisit. Lot. Like, but. Right. Yeah. I will say she has apologized since. I did watch the trailer because I was like, well, maybe I will watch it. And then I saw the trailer and I was like, absolutely not. I will absolutely not watch this. This is ridiculous. I saw like one, I saw like one scene. I was like, oh my God, girl. It, like it's if you're gonna if I think we talked about it, but if you're going to do something that is so radical and you know is wrong, you better be the best, undeniable. Like you don't even do Nina's justice. And I think the biggest part was like Nina always talked about her her features, and it's like you just weren't like yes, you can relate to black. You are black. You can relate to that. But there's also like you know colorism at play, and you know um, Zoe Saldana is pretty brown, but it's like. Nina Simone had a lot of issues with her features and accepting herself and loving herself. And she went through a lot. And I just think that it was not, it wasn't your goal. Yes. Today. But we already yes, talked about Yes, absolutely. So I recommend watching Whatever Happened to uh, Miss... Wait. Yes. Sorry, James. If you also want to get some feedback from the community, you should watch red carpet interviews of people ask people, what do you think about Zoe Zaldana playing Nina Simone on YouTube? It's quite okay. entertaining. Yes. So... I so I recommend watching Whatever Happened to Miss Nina Simone, not the Nina Simone movie with Zoe Saldana. Um, and is mm-hmm. the thing too is that you're watching the documentary and seeing like oh, the documentary is so beautiful. It's all actual footage of Nina Simone and interviews with her, and and you just see it. You're just like, there's how I know that maybe Zoe Saldana was like, I respect this artist and I want to pay tribute, but you like, there's no way I think. Zoe Zoe Saldana can transform herself into all like 
different things like um, a space alien and Avengers, but not Nina Simone. <laughs> like, yes, you could put some green paint on, but you can't like there's just and that's the other thing, too, is that like Nina Simone was born in the South. Right. There's a certain connection to that experience that I just don't think like I could see a Viola Davis rocking the shit out of this role. Right. I could see that. But um, we're casting some other amazing, talented person. So we're going to celebrate Nina Simone today. So she was born, original name, mm-hmm. you, Eunice Wayman, and she was born on February 21st, 1933. So happy belated birthday that just passed, born in North Carolina. And at a very early age, she took up playing the piano in church. She like had a natural gift. She was like super talented. And some white ladies like went to the church and they saw her. They're like, oh my God, she is like so talented like let's make her famous and like train her up and so these white ladies took her under the her, her wing and they were training her like one of them was like i'm gonna make her like the first black female pianist to just mm. take over the world right and so i think on one end she was being like you know nice yeah. white lady think like hillary swank and you know those all those yeah, movies yeah. that there's always like a nice white lady who comes in and tries to like <laughs> you know mm-hmm. teach a black person she was blind spotting or freedom writers um dangerous mindsing you know they, white ladies just can't help themselves right so yeah so she was doing that but one thing like so nina simone had to walk she's you know down in the south and she had to walk to those these white ladies house and they literally on the other side of the tracks so they used to put railroad tracks specifically down to separate like the black and the white town. And so she had to walk over to the white town. Terrifying for this little 12 year old girl to have to like go over there into this town. It was like, so I could already imagine the like nerve wracking trauma that is she's experiencing at a very young age. Right. And she talks about like how her family didn't really talk about like race, but she was experiencing it and she didn't really know what she was experiencing because her family didn't necessarily like, you know, teach her about it, right? They were just like, they didn't know, you know, different parenting styles. They weren't like, you black, you gotta, you know, do X, Y, and Z, but she was experiencing it for herself. And so she's super talented. Oh, one time, so she wasn't, they were like, okay, you're gonna perform here at this event. And because it was, you know, mostly it was a white audience, her parents couldn't even sit in the audience. They had to go stand in the back. And she Mm -hmm. was like, fuck that. I'm not playing until you let my parents, you know, play. So at a young age, already being an activist, right? Which is going to come in a little bit later. So they eventually, like, let her parents sit down. But that is a wild world to be growing up in. So she ended up going to Juilliard. She ended up going to Juilliard. She trained there. Again, super talented. She was able to fundraise enough money to go to Juilliard. And then... She was denied entry into the Curtis Institute of Music because, any guesses why? She was black? There it is. There it is always there. There it is. That's the, that's the, that's, you ever see like on SNL um, Deputy? Yes. What's the correct answer? Yeah, because she was black. Racism. That's exactly it. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like you know, uh, they asked you know Prince Harry, why do you think you know your wife was treated this way before he could even finish the question? Because she's black. There it is. Right? right there it is. And that's usually the answer to most things. Of like, oh, why was this person treated differently? Racism because they are black. Like anti-blackness mm-hmm. is is deep. So her genesis to being a singer. So in 1954, so she she went to, she's in New York. She can't get into school. And she's like, well, fuck, I got to make some money. Like I can't, you know, I got to do something. And all she wanted to be was like a, a concert pianist. This has been training her entire life, right? Super fucking talented. 
And so she's like, all right, I got to pay some bills. Her family moved up to Philly to be closer to her. And she's like, I got to help support my family. And in 1954, she started singing in an Atlantic City nightclub. And she's, you know, playing yeah. everything because she could play box. She could play the classics. She could play the pop. She was just like, boom, boom, boom. Ba-da, 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 boop, boop. Move over Alicia Keys or take notes, Alicia Keys, because I'm going to show you how it's done. Right. Because and that, but she's not singing at this point. Right. right. And so boss man comes up and he's like, you're very talented. But girl, if you don't start singing, you're fired. And she's like, well, I've not it's like she's not a singer. But she was just like, fine, let me sing some songs. And of course, because she's Nina Simone, she's amazing at it. She just has this gift. Like, she just understands music to a whole other level. So she's just like singing and playing the piano. And she's just an instant, like, talent. And she's, because she was playing all this other stuff, though, mm-hmm. playing a lot of pop. Remember, she grew up in the church. She was like, ooh, I got to change my name. Because she doesn't want her mom knowing that she's singing the devil's music. You know, a little bit of a thing back then. So she changed her name to Nina was a pet name that her boyfriend gave oh her. Oh, my God. And Simone came from the French actress Simone Signor. Sing something French. Something Signor. I took Spanish. Um, sing. <laughs> So she chants as she got her name and her first album was called Little Girl Blue and the biggest bop off. I mean, it was bop after bop after bop. People Mm. loving it. But people loved her first song that was like a huge hit was I I Love You Porgy from the movie from Porgy and Bess, which is a musical, which interesting enough, Dorothy Dandridge, who we talked about um, uh, before on this podcast, she was in the film version of Porgy and Bess and People also love that jam because Billie Holiday mm-hmm. also sang that song. And so it's interesting because, you know, Billie Holiday, like a decade or so earlier, her, they have, there's some similarities um, between the two and just their overall um, treatment as black female artists. But, you know, it's for the black women. Interesting, too, right. little interesting note. She performed um, on the Hugh Hefner short-lived TV show, Playboy's Penthouse. Hugh Hefner used to have like a TV show. Not Nina Simone. Yes. But she wasn't like, she wasn't like pianos, titties out, like boogie and bass. Like that wasn't the thing. It was classy. The Like the, 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 it was a very classy show. Like the Playboy's Penthouse was like, it was supposed to, it was like classy. It was, it's not, it wasn't like the, the hustler shack. Like that's a nasty place. Like, okay. I love that. I love that. I mean, not the house. Yeah, she was all like, yeah, that was, you know, it was the Playboy. It was classy. Um, but I do love that, like, Hugh Hefner had this, like, TV show on, like, what, the ABC. It was just, like, it wasn't on the channels back then. And it was, like, everyone's just watching the Playboy's plant house. So it probably came out late at night. Maybe, like, 10. I feel like TV used to, like, shut down, like, after a certain time. It'd be, like, no more on TV. Remember they said that, like, the, <laughs> no more programming. Yeah, there'd be no more programming. Like, that's it for tonight. That's it. Turn your TV off. That's so funny. Okay. So then her, she, because she's known for being a singer and an activist. And so what really triggered her mm. journey into activism was the 1963 mm-hmm. bombing of the Black Birmingham church where those four little girls were murdered, you know? And it's interesting, like, you know, also sidebar, we talked about this before, Angela Davis, love her, obviously she's my old professor at UC Santa Cruz, she, like, used to play with one of those girls who, you know, used wow. to, that was, that got killed in that, that um, church, I think, like, her mother used to babysit one of the girls, so... 
Just an interesting moment, obviously not mm-hmm. a, more than an interesting moment, like a horrific moment that is happening. It's the catalyst for her to be like, fuck this. Like, I got to get involved. Like, I can't just be like singing about these cute little songs. And she wrote a song called Mississippi Goddamn, which was a protest song. And I highly recommend like go back and like listen to like her music selections. She's just, and um, you listen to like what, like she will bring you in. Her voice is just like no other. And the fact that she's like not a trained like music, like not a trained singer, but she just understood music. She just has like this power in her voice. And it was rare at the time also for black female, mm-hmm. for a black woman to be singing about the civil rights movement. And I think a lot of folks had been sort of scared off. Like they'd seen what had happened to like other folks, like what had happened to Billie Holiday. And so, you know, some female artists weren't willing to step into that arena, but she definitely mm-hmm. was. And also around this time, civil rights activist Medgar Evans, Medgar Evers had been assassinated by a member of the White Citizens Council the year before. And, you know, uh, comedian Dick Gregory says in the documentary, we all wanted to say it, say it, but she said it like nobody else was able to really come out and and, and speak mm-hmm. it um, and, and say it. And a lot of people who ended up coming out and, and singing or speaking out, they all ended up dead one way or another. And radio stations uh, didn't just mm-hmm. they banned Mississippi Goddamn, but they also sent the records back cracked in half which is like that's a lot of extra effort to like not only mail it and then just crack it in half like we don't want this just saying the fun stuff just sing the jazzy stuff right and then i yeah so highly recommend it's a very powerful song she ended up Mm -hmm. singing mississippi goddamn at the march on selma the second one the first one ended in bloody sunday as we know so the march in selma part two um which sometimes the sequel is better than the original glory because this one but that we're talking about his history worked out (laughs) versus a movie sometimes the sequel does get better empire strikes back better than the first star wars so um and everybody too and you see the march on selma too like everybody was there harry Belafonte, like all these different like artists and and activists and she said to her like her voice when she sang mississippi goddamn there at that event it changed like she couldn't hit certain octaves anymore like it just something broke inside of her she was filled with just so much like anger and sadness and frustration um she was also like she was friends with everybody like she was a who's who she knew everybody she was friends with martin luther king jr she was all up in the movement Mm -hmm. and she once went up to him and she said i'm not non-violent mr king because he's all about like non-violent and she was like i'm not non-violent and he was like that's okay sister you don't have to be but that's where you know she was she's friends with james baldwin she was friends with Lorraine Hansberry, who Lorraine Hansberry was one of the first black writers to have a hit Broadway show, uh, Raisin in the Sun. Uh, they were best mm. friends. She was even a goddaughter of her daughter, Lisa. So Lorraine Hansberry uh, was her goddaughter. So they were friends. Mm-hmm. I think she wrote some of her songs. She's friends with Stokely Carmichael, Langston Hughes. He wrote a song for her, James Baldwin. And you know who her neighbor was? Malcolm X. How would you know? You just, as you just be knowing, look at you. I'm not telling you nothing you don't already know. How did you know? They would, you just be knowing things. Yeah. Um, whatchamacallit. Um, I maybe have the timing wrong, but this is giving me a lot of Harlem Renaissance. 
No, right? Is it? I think the timing is off, right? Probably because, Renaissance is a little bit earlier, but yes, in the twenty-three. But I'm, I'm, I'm well, like actually a little bit because if she's no, you're right because if she spends with Lorraine Hansberry, Lorraine Hansberry was a part of the Harlem Renaissance. So yeah, oh, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, I guess like she was around. Yeah, yeah. Maybe like around that. Obviously, like that time period from um, Renaissance to Civil mm-hmm. Rights Movement, which is kind of crazy to that, think okay. about. But you're gonna have a whole Harlem Renaissance and then the Civil like. Why are people always hating? Like we was living, we was making art. Yeah. Then you want to come? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, there, you know, she's she's doing it. She's friends with all these different people, and like her daughter, like I, uh, one of the Shabazz girls, because her daughter grew up with the Shabazz, they were like you know next door neighbors, and uh, one of the Shabazz girls, uh, Malcolm X's daughter, she said there was music, there were discussions, like whether it was at our house or Lisa's house, Nina Simone's home, it was definitely a party with a purpose, which I mm-hmm. love because that's how we do. Like we still have fun. But sometimes we're coming together. Like Minority Corner is a party with a purpose. That's what I would say. That's our new tagline. We are a party with a purpose, right? We having a good time, but we having some conversations and we getting some work done. Um. So, but also around this mm-hmm. time, many of these figures die. Like a lot of those people, I just like party a lot of those people I just mentioned that she was friends with. They were died. Right. They died or they were murdered. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, even Fr- Fred Hampton as well. Like you know. King, Malcolm X, Langston Hughes, Lorraine Hansberry, she died of cancer at the age of 34. And these folks were her teachers because she was learning from them and it was impacting the work that in the lyrics that she was even, you know, writing. Mm -hmm. And she was like, man, it looks like the movement, it's dying with them. It's being, you know, snuffed out. She also sang Strange Fruit, which Billie Billie Holiday's song. Yeah, I think that's sometimes I get... Yeah, confused. I always knew, like, I've heard both versions. Yeah. So I, at first, I didn't know who was the originator of that song, but Billie Holiday was the originator and she sampled that. She also sampled another song that's really popular. Um, I forgot the name of it, mm. but I know the beat. Okay. Mm-hmm. Something I wish. Give me the song. Okay. What is it? All right. But I she, wish to be free, something like that. She had a lot of, she did a lot of different covers of, of different things, you know, as, as, you know, we had uh, mentioned a little bit earlier. But um, yeah, she, she, like I said, like she's, you know, saying Strange Fruit. It's interesting she didn't have the same persecution necessarily as Billie Holiday did. It does remind me she had at least a, a circle somewhat of, a, of protection because when Billie Holiday was singing Strange Fruit, there was no civil rights movement. She was a lone woman standing out against the FBI and, you know, white supremacy. She was out by herself. At least even though by the time civil rights movement is happening, black people are still being, you know, our leaders and our, our movement leaders are being murdered and taken down by the mm-hmm. FBI. But at least she had some sort of a community and a network to stand up with, you know, and she didn't have really any drug abuse or or alcohol Mm -hmm. issues. So the FBI couldn't really like go get her and their war on drugs, a.k.a. the war on black people. But she had this fire inside of her that was always been there and was always fluctuating. So put a pin in that, right? It was that people were like, oh, it's always there. But she was she'd be angry and then she was hot and she was Mm -hmm. cold. So put a pin that because I remember when I was hearing that in the documentary, I'm like, I think I know what's going on. But she had her one, one of her jams to be young, gifted and black, which was a proclamate. Like 
to, to announce that and to have a song about that, this really became a proclamation and affirmation and really one of the unofficial anthems of the civil rights movement. We had many, uh, but you could tap that into like the Spotify playlist of <laughs> unofficial anthems of the civil rights movement. And she uh, named that after an unfinished play by her friend Lorraine Hansberry. And, you know, some of the lyrics are, in the whole world, you know, there are a billion boys and girls who are young, gifted, and black, and that's a fact. Like that just, and no one was like singing about that. It was just like this revolutionary thing to say, I am young, gifted, and black. But then around like 1971, like disco's coming in, all the leaders are like, you know, dead, murdered, arrested, mm-hmm. and disco's coming in. And she's like, oh, I don't have space for me. Sorry, I'm not going to Diana Ross this and move on over to disco. Like, that's not me. Like, she barely really actually really even enjoyed moving into like being boxed into blues and jazz she did it right but she really wanted to be a classic pianist that was her real goal but she got boxed into like well this is you you're black and you're just gonna do blues and jazz and like you know she did it and you know some of her she started to lose popularity the more you know activist she got People were like, oh, I don't know, Nina, like, you know, just sing Porgy and Bess, like just sing the fun stuff, right? Like people weren't like, and mainly like, you know, radio stations and white audiences, they just, you know, weren't, weren't feeling it. And like, she was singing like one of her songs, she's like, you know, singing along, she's like, gotta be ready to fight, you know, take it down, burn it down. We're ready to kill if necessary. And people are like, whoa, whoa okay, and, you know what? That's maybe a little bit, you know, too much for me, right? She's getting married. She again, the anger is building up in her. Like she wanted guns because you know she was like ready to like go all the way into the movement on the very militant side. And her husband slash manager was like, I'm not going to train you on how to use these guns, and so we're not getting any guns. So she let music become her weapon, but you know, people didn't like it. So. Next, going into like the personal struggle, what was happening behind the scenes for her? So she had her husband slash manager, which I don't think that's ever a good mix to have. Like that's never a little the control stuff. He was a former police chief, Andrew Stroud. He gave up his work as a police chief to go be her manager, which at first this was really great because like she had nobody helping to like manage her. Mm-hmm. She was just out on her own, like. You need a, you know, you need a Simone. You need some management help. Like, you can't just be out here by yourself. Like, where am I going? Where are we booked at? Like, what should I be doing? Mm-hmm. And so at first it was really great, but then she really just became this workhorse. And again, she really wanted to do like the classical like music and but she would do all this other stuff. And she was just like working all the time. And when I'm watching the documentary, I'm like, I think she was just getting burnt out. That's what happens to like a lot of these artists. And as they get burnt out, they need rest and rejuvenation. But like her husband was like, not about that. He's like, we're booked here. We're booked here because she becomes a business in an enterprise. Right. Um, he used to beat her. There was accounts of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he like raping her. Um, but kind of remind me of like, you know, Tina Turner's Turner's journey uh, with Ike and she throughout all this there she had all these different journal issue uh entries and she sounds like she's really struggling with depression um but there wasn't really conversations and dialogue around the sadness and depressed feelings that she was feeling 
And she had real no control over her own life and business, no time to rest. So many people like depended on her as a business. She counted that one time she had like 19 folks mm -hmm. that were, you know, living like she had to make sure she's doing these events so that they were able to put up food on their table. So she has that one time she had a nervous breakdown while opening for Bill Cosby. And it just like, I guess at one point she's getting ready for the show. She's speaking incoherently, arguing with her husband and just began like speaking in gibberish and essentially putting black shoe polish in her hair, like just like going off. They still managed to put her on stage and perform, but it just sort of like in some ways kind of reminded me of the whole entire like Britney Spears situation in a way, right? Like, yeah, she needed a break, right? Like she's tired. Mm -hmm. But when you are the person that puts food in people's mouth, everyone wants to keep working. Yep. Yep. She's tired. And then also dealing with the civil rights movement and experience that's happening. Right. You know, like the the weight of that. And then just the trauma of like, you know, her whole entire life is trying to be a black woman, doors slammed in her face, and she wants to do her, her own thing. So they also noted And that um moment that you talked about, like it I feel like it's it's I don't know how to describe it, but it's like we never recognized, like, yeah, we said it. Like, she had to go to the other side of the town and she had to deal with racism. But it's like, imagine being 13 and, like, it's just a traumatizing. And it's like everything adding up throughout the years. And you're, it's it's a lot. Yep, it's a yep. Lot. I mean, you know, at a very early age, I mean, there's lynchings that are still happening. Um, Emmett Till, uh, you know the reality that you're, you're, you're living in, right? Um. And so they noted they were like, oh, like she, she got on with her life that she had become, you know, she'd go through these moments of being obsessed with sex. Right. And so I only bring that up because as soon as they said that, you know, she had all of these like, you know, she'd be sad and depressed and anger, angry. She ended up moving off to like uh, Liberia because that's the place mm -hmm. like Liberia uh, where is emancipated free slaves ran off to inform their own nation. So she's like, I'm going there. Like 1970s is kicking in. She's like, I'm out. I'm going to where the free black people are. But the husband had mentioned that like she was, you know, obsessed with sex or whatnot. And all of these behavioral points, you know, the hot and the cold and, you know, mm -hmm. angry and obsessed with sex in these moments. I was like, I think she's bipolar. That's what my connection because a lot of these are behavioral traits of being, you know, bipolar. And so she went to Liberia, Liberia, and she's like, "Yay, I'm free! This is amazing! I love it!" But she's not making any money when she's there. And she brought her eventually brought her daughter over. It's like I'm living with her, and her daughter then started to experience some of the anger and so she actually started to like you know bring out some of the abuse onto her daughter and so she again this hot and cold sort of thing that is happening and then so her daughter was like i'm out this is too much i'm going back to my dad and so then uh nina simone she went to paris performed in nightclubs but she didn't have anybody to help manage her so she's performing in the wrong nightclubs like she's only making like 300 dollars on, for each performance mm -hmm. and sometimes it wouldn't be full because people were like oh there's no way nina simone's performing in this like rinky dink like nightclub so people wouldn't even show up and a friend of hers ran it like met up with her and she just looked like disheveled and just like not her right self and took her to her doctor and within moments the doctor's like yeah she's manic depressive and bipolar and she had been to a doctor like a few decades before and they were like nothing's wrong with her no nope, she's fine 
And it's just so sad that she wasn't able to get the, the treatment that she really needed. Again, also, like you said, dealing with the trauma and also like the trauma of just like growing up black woman in America. And it's still racist as fuck. Um, you know, those experiences. And, you know, um, so they put her on some medication, but the medication isn't like that great back then. And I don't know how great it is, you know, really now, but I can imagine even then, like, it's not the best. So they were like, well, warning, like, her moods might be better, but she's not going to have the trade off is she doesn't have her same sort of motor skills. So sometimes her performance isn't going to be, you know, as great. But if she wasn't on the medication, she could really like sort of, you know, rock it out again. This whole entire thing really reminded me of Britney Spears. Really? I'm not a you know doctor, but I have heard mm-hmm. scuttlebutt that she also um is, you know, uh, has either you know some sort of like manic depressive or bipolar or something or other and people are like she doesn't dance like she used to and i'm like it could be because of some of the medications that she's on and sometimes like you said interesting to let people like rest and have agency over their selves and and control over it so in the 80s she had a massive resurgence uh in europe she you know was performing and and people like loved her and she continued to perform up until about her death in 2003 um, really devoted international international following. So I'm at least glad that like so many of these different stories that we've you know talked about before with you know Dorothy Dandridge or Billie Holiday, um, they died so young and and a lot of it was like drug related. So at least grateful that you know um, Nina Nina Simone at least had a different you know somewhat journey. Um, it's still sad and heartbreaking because she wasn't able just to be you know herself. Mm-hmm. And um, I just think about we don't really have like Nina Simone's these days. Like who are the the black Beyonce? artists that are really out there talking about? And they dabble here and there, like the Megan Thee Stallion, Beyonce, Solange. Yeah, I yeah, absolutely. And luckily, but even like people like were clutching their pearls when they reminded that Beyonce is black. Um, I just think like let black women be black women. Listen, and mental health is really, really, really key and important. Like Nina Simone was just really. Uh, a hop ahead of her time you can see so many connections of different women artists today or even in the past of you know being workhorses lack of control mental health um being put in these boxes loss of career for doing something right or or speaking their mind so there it is miss nina simone women's history month we wanted to celebrate you you know you crack glass ceilings so to the point where maybe some you know women are able just to live their their carefree black life a little bit more so a big thank you to miss nina simone watch the documentary not the zoe saldana oh my movie. god zoe saldana did apologize so he said on did apologize for playing that role. So I do appreciate that. She did come out and say, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have played that. Schmanners. Noun. Definition. Rules of etiquette designed not to judge others, but rather to guide ourselves through everyday social situations. Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. Every week on Schmanners, we take a look at a topic that has to do with society or manners. We talk about the history of it. We take a look at how it applies to everyday life. And we take some of your questions. And sometimes we do a biography about a really cool person that had an impact on how we view etiquette. So join us every Friday and listen to Schmanners on MaximumFun.org or wherever podcasts are found. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? Today, I actually wanted to talk about reggaeton and some of the 
black influences that exist within reggaeton that some people may not know. So I'm gonna go down and do my Afro Latinx minority corner, my contribution. Boom, 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 right. Boom. My contribution. Reggaeton corner. Right. I'm excited. And this week we're celebrating Bad Bunny's birthday. And Bad Bunny, for me, it's been interesting to see um just how reggaeton has changed over the years. I remember being in high school and it being this like repetitive, like it was just like this boom, like it was just happening and to see it still exist and to see some i don't know if you heard any of the songs like oh the first well i feel like the first and the biggest one that i really know i gotta be honest i don't know a lot of reggaeton music but i do remain remember isn't that song like fuck faster oh oh here's the other one that i love Mentirosa, mentirosa. Well, okay, oh, okay. Oh, that's Pitbull and that's more house. Oh, okay. That's, not right. that's, that's like what just because they're, and, just cause they're speaking J-Lo. Spanish in the song does not mean it's a reggaeton. It's not reggaeton. Okay, thank you for cleaning yeah. it, clearing it up. Okay. Yeah. Then Gasolina's only. That's what I'm here for. That's what you're here for to teach us because I also, as I say, I can't, I know. I don't know a lot about Bad Bunny, so come and teach me and the kids. Oh my God, have you heard? I'm also a man closer to 40 than 30. I'm also a man closer to 40 than 30, so sometimes I'm out of the loop. (laughs) I just found out what a Billie Eilish was or what she looks like. songs find you and you don't even know that. You're like, oh, that is that song. Like, Gasolina, like a lot of people like, like, they just throw it in us and like, oh, wow, like, I love this song. But I, I think you know Daddy Yankee. Yeah, he was in a Jan. He was on a Janet Jackson, her latest song. Really? Made That's for what that. I'm talking about. Like I don't even know that. So thank you for <laughs> yes. telling me that. Do you ever remember that song? Um, um, Oye Mi Canto. Like it was all over the radio. What did you call me? <laughs> you said what did you call me? No. It's interesting because you know I grew up on the East Coast. You grew up on the West Coast, right? So I'm sure like some of your Latino influences are more like Mexican oriented. Maybe if you do know, they're probably more like around that culture. Like, yes. you know, Selena. Yeah. Of course. So, okay, oh my oh, God. Like, of course. You know like, that, right? We watch Selena every day in Spanish class, damn near. Okay. Like, time to but watch like, Selena. On the East Coast, it's obviously closer to the Caribbean where reggaeton was founded. Mm. But I want the reason why I'm talking about it today, I want to debate that reggaeton actually started in Panama. So like mm. a lot of people don't know about El General and he was um, a Panamanian man. And he, a lot of people don't know Panama is a Latin American country. And mm. it is part of the Afro-Latinidad Afro-Latinx community. I, as a Latina, I don't know what we're calling ourselves nowadays. So I'm like Latinx, Latino, what is, you know, I'm, it's also a learning curve for myself. I, yeah, yeah, I just always address myself as like a black Dominican, but. Also, when I was looking at Liberia, I think um, there were some, when emancipation happened, there were some black people who uh, went down to Panama. Like Abraham Lincoln had like recommended it or something. He was like, maybe. Not Abraham Lincoln. He was giving recommendations because he was like, I'm sure it's probably going to be really rough here. Some of y'all might want to get out. And they were right too because reconstruction was a mess. Not a recommendation. Like you may want to go to Honduras. (laughs) 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 Like I'm done. I, it's gonna be a mess and he was right man got shot shortly after so <laughs> right he was trying to save the himself too i guess right but 
the thing with um reggaeton is like it's still a fairly new genre right like it's we're talking about like the 90s um and the reason why so it, what i love about it it's so influenced by jamaican culture and like dancehall culture so think about reggaeton this is a very simplified way to say it but it's like a spanish-speaking dancehall mm-hmm. so it's like we're thinking mm-hmm. like um you know wayne wonder no letting go no you know what i feel like i am i'm like james like i don't know none of this shit oh gasolina was daddy yankee so i do that's know. what i'm saying i'm like you know daddy yankee oh okay and okay i think i just didn't put two and two yeah and i remember you know when you're like this young dominican kid growing up in the city you're like wow daddy yankee's on mtv you would have never thought because it it started real underground it wasn't supposed to be this big mm. thing but now like it's become one of it's become such a large worldwide music scene and i bring it up because bad bunny had like the number one hit for weeks i don't know if you heard that Kathy. <laughs> i did it you know what no. i'm gonna need you to i'm yes. gonna need you to get on spotify and you know what it is right i know you've heard these songs but because you don't know like because that happened to me too i'm like i don't know who's saying this shit, but it's coming up on my billboard and you start realizing when after this, you're gonna be like, I do know Bad Bunny. And then you're gonna ask me to come back. And I'm gonna be like, if you're like, actually do this reggaeton shit over, because I love it. I think Bad Bunny's great to know about because he actually got a lot of criticism around last year. He made a music, he's very like LGBTQ friendly and he's very um mm. about oh. gender express expressing your gender in different ways. I guess gender fluidity, you know. So it's like he's been getting as of he is out here. He is a star. You need to look him up. And he recently got a lot of criticism because he made a music video where he dressed up as a woman and he was dancing with himself. And you got to think about, we're thinking about the Caribbean, ma- a lot of masculinity, toxic masculinity. Machismo. Mach- okay, you know, so machismo. And he I, got, was, oh. I took three years of Spanish. Right. And I'm on, I got my, uh, I took my Duolingo. <laughs> oh, you got from the Spanish class, you got Selena, machismo, and gasolina. That's what you learn in Spanish. <laughs> Do I need anything else? Everyone on the podcast should definitely look at Bad Bunny. If you don't know Bad Bunny, he is like one of the biggest stars right now. Um, mm. Over the, he actually um, during the wow. quarantine lockdown did like a social distance tour from the Bronx okay. all the way downtown. Very innovative. Everybody was running, yeah, everybody was running on the streets, including myself. And he has a partnership with, yeah, he has all these partnerships with Croc. Like he's out here. Um, and he usually he recently was like featured in the WWE. Like his publicist is out here, and um, SNL. He was on a recent episode. I do of SNL. remember. I don't typically watch the performances if I don't know the artist, or I maybe listen to a few seconds of okay. it. I'm so Yo, sorry. You, you I had an opportunity to experience Bad Bunny. I think it was late. I was like, "Come on, I got to go to bed. Let me just watch the scene. I just need to see the skits." It's okay. You're gonna you're gonna after this. What happens is that people like us, we we learn something and we go down a edu- like yes. a spiral. So I'm actually gonna go on a Nina okay. Simone spiral it, after this. I'm like, you know what? Yeah. I need to look this up. And I'm you're gonna, gonna love Princess Bad Bunny. Diana you're gonna up, and like, Bad what? Bunny, like two perfect. I don't know Princess Diana go down a rabbit hole. Like I don't know who doesn't, but I definitely do. But yeah, so just to give you just some context on reggaeton, like it blends Jamaican music with dance hall and it's like a really big deal for it's it's great because it gives people a space right especially when you live in this intersectionality between like all these worlds like first generation second all the stuff coming here as an immigrant it's a nice way to still connect to your roots 
The origins of reggaeton became with the, began with the first um, Latin American recordings being made in Panama during the 1970s. Reportedly, the Jamaican reggae influence on, the, on Panamanian music had been so strong since the 20th century because Jamaican laborers were used to build the Panama Canal. So you got to think about it. You out there building the canal and you bring your music over and you're mixing it with the, the things of your culture. And when you listen to like El General, which is like one of the founding fathers of reggaeton and Daddy Yankee, they are vastly different, but they do have this whole like dembo beats. And I wish I could sing it and play it for you, but I'm just going to mess it up. You know? Okay. But they, a little homework. Yeah. You know, I just want, all I want you to do is just go down the rabbit hole. Just go down the yeah. rabbit hole. Listen to Bad Let Bunny. Let me Google that for you. You've done part of the work and now they get to do the next part. Yeah. And, you know, I also want to say, like, it's still one of those scenes where women are still finding their footing in it. I know we talked about, you know, it being Women's History Month. There aren't a lot of prominent reggaeton women artists. There's Evie Queen. There's Time Carol for Lee. you. Move over. Oh, I, don't, I don't have it. I don't have it in me. I'm going to okay. stick to the comedy right, thing. Fair. Okay. I'm going to stick to yeah. the comedy thing. But um, yeah, I just wanted to put a spotlight on reggaeton and let y'all know that I need to look up that bunny and just talk about how proud I am because I'm proud that, you know, sometimes there are like booms and like like music eras that be there are just phases, but this is like it's funny, it's, it's interesting to me to see it as a 30 year old. Like, there was like this big gap between like my 20s and 30, and to see it coming back and being this like adult woman listening to okay, it. There's a lot of promotion of like sex in it, but it's about enjoying your life. Here we are at the very end, but we do have a little itty bitty mini fact check coming at you. So I didn't, I meant to mention this earlier. I don't know if you all knew this, but the original coming to America, the studio cited that Eddie Murphy had to put a white person in the film wild. And that's why Louis Anderson is there in the movie. Doesn't have a huge part, really nothing to do with the plot line. And he was just like, all right, fine, I'll get Louis Anderson. So just so fascinating in the 80s, the studio was like, yeah, even Eddie Murphy, you can make this movie, but you got to put a white person in it. Otherwise, no one's going to come and see this movie because no one's going to see a movie about a bunch of black people. Sigh, roll, eyes. In the Harlem Renaissance, I feel like I've gotten this wrong in this podcast so many times. It was from 1918 to the mid-1930s. I honestly feel like there was another Harlem Renaissance because you think about Lorraine Hansberry, Langston Hughes, James Baldwin. Like, they were coming up later, like around the 50s, just doing all this other great stuff. So easy to confuse, I guess, the Renaissance happened. And maybe it's the idea of the, the Renaissance happened and then all this greatness just stayed afterwards, right? So I think a, a, a renaissance is like a renewing, a rebirth, and this thing is back, and then it just stays. Okay, that's what we'll go with. I don't know. Tweet at us, email us, let us know. And our BAP who passed away, I do want to get her name right, did not know, maybe I knew and I forgot, Natalie Dizel, rest and power, our BAP from the movie BAP. Um, wanted to make sure we got her name correct. All right, and this review, I've been staring at it. I want to give it some love. It just made me smile so much. This comes from E. Thomas 207. They wrote on Apple Podcasts, 
I've been listening to this podcast for about six months, and now I look forward to a new drop every Friday. James is amazing and has constantly wonderful guest partners. I have learned a ton of history, had fun listening to discussions on pop culture, current events, and more. Kwanzaa 101 was outstanding. His 25-minute check-in at the Capitol Rights was everything I needed at the moment. Feels like I have a weekly visit with friends who leave me better off than when I join the conversations. Do yourself a favor and subscribe. Thank you so much for this thoughtful uh post it just i uh, hit all the notes i it hit all the notes so thank you i'm glad that you are vibing with this podcast thank you so much and we do i think the guests on here are awesome i love them they're fabulous and you are our friends you're just we're just hanging out having a conversation only you're just you're listening you're the they're the listening type we are going to go what a fun what a party with the purpose i wasn't lying when i said that in the beginning here we are party with the purpose nina simone style we will not be silent or silenced nah not today thank you to our wonderful magical editor sarah be doing the magic y'all just loving it and big shout out to sam jackson she took a spill maybe you saw on um graham she is okay thank you for your well wishes thank you to sam jackson our social media manager she's she's good and a big thank you to all of our listeners and our maximum fund members we can't do the show without you thank you for listening to minority corner because together we're the majority have a great week y'all love you MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.